Michael. Turning. How are we? I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, I'm doing good. Should we just go straight into it and get the elephant out of the room? I think we should. How are you feeling? <laughs> so, um... Will this, hey. will this come out before or after? What just happened? Um... Probably before. Alright, so this is a bit of a teaser. Yeah. <laughs> He's now wondering what the hell has happened. What's Mike done to tea? Poor tea's just been. Would you like to explain? Uh, what I don't explain. But first, uh, hello everyone listening, and um, hello people watching at home again. Let's see what. Uh, so on Mondays, all behind the scenes for everyone, we film and record all of our all of our content for um, for the week ahead. And this week, as, as you would have seen, gone out today and, and uh, yesterday, we are recording some back attacks. So lots of chokes. And uh, we got to n near the end <laughs> of our filming today, and uh, we were doing a bow and arrow choke, which we'll get to see on Saturday. Saturday. And uh, so it's like literally the last kind of technique for that week that we're filming. And uh, Mike puts it on, and I'm thinking, "Oh, this is tight," <laughs> but I can't tap because Mike's explaining the technique, right? <laughs> well, you could have done. I uh, the smart thing to do would have been, but I just didn't. I didn't know if that was very appropriate. I didn't want to interrupt my. So you you thought you would just kind of like hang on in there, like a slave to doing the right thing, yeah, creating good content. Well, I thought eventually Michael, you know, flexes hips a little bit, so I'm kind of so I'm allowed to tap. Which he's done because if you watch it back, actually, I took this left hand out as well. <laughs> so I literally only had one hand in the collar. Yeah, and uh, I uh, I um, got put choked out, passed out, which. You know, I'm on one hand extremely grateful that we caught it on camera because it's the first yeah, time. That's, that's like quite rare, rare, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's the first time you've ever ever gone out. But on the other hand, it was only maybe two weeks ago. Me and Gabe you know, had a little fist bump over over the fact that neither of us had been checked out. So out yeah. of the coaching team now, it's just Gabriel. <laughs> well, I think actually it's a good thing that you have, so you know what it feels like, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean the, the the best thing about it was capture on camera. Because there was only one hand in the collar, it shows like if a technique is applied efficiently and expertly, let's say, that's a big, big word for me. But let's just say like if a, if a grip is set perfectly, there's no requirement for much more. Like mm. it's that powerful. One hand in your collar can put you to sleep. And like we've, we can document that now, right? And that was everyone when they watch it back will see that it was a complete mistake. I noticed... It's like, why is he taking his hands off? He's supposed to be defending this thing. Then he st then T started to kind of move a little bit and I looked down and his eyes were kind of glazed over and rolling through and I was like, oh. <laughs> so from my perspective, I'm just thinking, this is tight. And then like my head, you know, kind of, kind of drifting off thinking about something else. <laughs> and then the next thing I know is like, Mike standing over me like, T, you okay? <laughs> like, wasting my legs. <laughs> and you said what everyone says when they come back round. Was I out for long? Right, yeah. Because to you, it feels like a long time. Mm. And it's like, you'll see on camera, it's like three seconds. Yeah, yeah. But to you, it feels it's weird, isn't it? That it does feel like a much long, it's like you've paused time. 
Uh, yeah, weird. like I wasn't like I wasn't surprised when you said like three seconds, but like had you also said thirty seconds, I would have been like, oh okay, <laughs> like I just didn't know. Like, and you recovered really quick, didn't you? Yeah, you kind of came back round really quick. I, and I think that depends, in my experience, how long someone has been out for. Mm. In my experience, the longer they've been out, the longer it takes to recover. Um, so the fact you were only out for a number of small amount of seconds, handful of seconds, meant that you came around pretty quick. The bit that got me was when you just kind of came up on you know, the video, obviously I was out, but he just looked at me like, he went, oh. <laughs> That's why he's not defending. Yeah. Not shocked at all. <laughs> God damn it, T. <laughs> but look, it happens, right? Like every now and again, it happens. That's a bit of an anomaly because you were trying to do your best to allow me to explain a position, which was, you know, and the, the choke was in. But, you know, it's, it go, it's for everyone watching or listening, like you can tap as soon as it feels tight, tight right? T only didn't tap because we were filming it. Ordinarily, you probably would have done. Oh yeah. So, but funny all the same, and we've got it's it on camera. Uh, we've got it on camera forever, and I'm never going to mention it ever again. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, oh. That day, I choked tea out with one hand. <laughs> Here, let me show you it. It's here on YouTube. <laughs> We're going to put it out as an outtake for the members, right? It's a little bit of a yeah. We can put it wherever as, a, as an educational yeah. tool, but as a bit of fun, right? Maybe it'll be just on the end of one of the YouTube videos, but we won't tell you which one, so you do have to watch ah, it in full. Nice, it'll nice. like fade to black and it'll give you like a second and it just pops back up. Nice. Maybe. Who knows? The power of a joke. That's, that's pretty cool. So, um... What are we doing today, T? So I had more things list kind of like for you, but then I noticed that you weren't maybe too keen on doing some list stuff. So I have a topic that I thought about as well. Well, the only reason I'm keen on doing anything, mm -hmm. you know me, but... I don't want people to see this as the mic show. Like, I'm obviously, it's my school. I'm the head instructor here, right? So everyone asks me questions. That's fine, but we don't always have to do that. So I just wanted to say to you, like, if you want to be, if you want to discuss some stuff, that's great. If you want to discuss some stuff about the charity work I'm doing, great. Or reorg that's coming up. We're going to announce that this week. That's a sneak peek. Mm. Like, whatever, yeah. right? So I'm open, man. So yeah, that's kind of what I thought we could talk about. Well, I've got one thing that's taken a bit of the jiu-jitsu world by storm this past week. And uh, then maybe we can talk about some reorg stuff. Yeah. And then maybe we'll just do a couple of the list and that should take us to around the time for um, another podcast. So, so I don't, I know you're not always about f keeping uh, up to date with memes, Mike, and jiu-jitsu memes in particular. No, but uh, this past week on the BJJ Fanatics uh, page, a white belt, posted this post I'm about to read you. And it's kind of taken a bit of the jiu-jitsu world by storm, especially in the meme space with loads of jokes being made about it. So forgive my reading everyone, but I, I will read it out to you. Uh, tapped a two strike purple the other night. Started, started and again, it doesn't often make sense. So I'll just read it as it is. Tapped a two strike purple the other night, started open, went for a pass to side control, and when he rolled away from it, I took the back kind of sneaky like. <laughs> Wasn't intended, but I saw the opportunity, exclamation mark. Got hooks and took an immediate but loose seatbelt grip and used the other hand to faint a rear naked as I clinched up the seatbelt. I think being a white belt helps with this as upper belts don't often seem to expect faints from a nobody white belt. When I got the seatbelt tightened up where I wanted, bam! grabbed a leg and bow and arrow. But naturally he wasn't gonna give up that easy. I had to let go, let the, I had to let the leg go two or three times to make my micro adjustments 
in exclamation in quotation marks on the seatbelt and a couple more times to get my hooks back in. Finally, I grabbed the leg and extended. I saw the hand getting ready to tap, then re- then relax again. I knew I just had to play the patience game at that point. And after a few seconds, I got the most reluctant tap I've ever gotten. Ha <laughs> ha. His name is... No, I'm just kidding. Felt... Uh, as in, he's not going to give the name. Yeah, that's a purple. Yeah. Uh, felt great, though. Exclamation mark. Some more emojis. And basically, this guy's just getting roasted on... <laughs> The, the not so like surprised. His, yeah, for his uh, especially his micro adjustments. Well, all of what he says there actually is inaccurate because it's pretty much like impossible what he's saying. Yeah. It doesn't make like in there's a, there's a lot lot to talk about there. But the first thing that gets me, apart from the fact that this guy's obviously strange, <laughs> is that the way he describes it isn't actually technically possible. Mm. So he actually doesn't even know what he's talking about. Yeah, like. Um, so we could do both if you want. We could talk about the person and what we think about that. Well, what do you want to talk about? Should we do that or should we talk about the technique? We can do both, I think. Uh, let's do let's do the uh, the technique stuff first. So let's go kind of go through it in a little bit. So, I mean, the first bit, okay, went for a pass to side control. It starts and what, an open. He said it starts yeah, an open, starts open, an open. guard, right? Open yeah. guard. Went for a pass to side control. And when he rolled away, I took the back. Kind of sneaky, like. Okay. Okay. So I mean, you can take someone's back when they when they roll away if if you know they don't want to go to side control. Okay. Yep. I mean, if you're a two straight white belt, I think a two straight purple belt is probably expecting that, and it wasn't the fact that you were kind of sneaky with it. Like, yeah. There's nothing sneaky about that. He rolled yeah. away. Yeah, he gave you the back, right? I mean, th- th- even that there. I mean, I might suggest at this point the purple belt's actually just going really easy and actually giving this person positions. Which makes the whole thing even worse. Mm-hmm. Because at purple belt level, mid purple belt level, you know damn well if someone's trying to pass your guard and you roll away, there's a, ra- a way to do it which denies the ability for your opponent to take you back. Yeah. So I'm going to say that the purple belt's a super nice guy and actually he's being really kind to this white belt at this point. Okay, so the next bit got hooks and took an immediate but loose seatbelt grip and used the other hand to faint a rear naked as I clinched up the seatbelt. Okay. So, yeah. I'm struggling to understand which other hand. Because if he's got a seatbelt grip, that implies to me he's got one arm underneath the opponent's arm. So there's some element of control there, control arms in place. So if he's using that one to to faint it, then he's giving up seatbelt. So it must be the other one. There's no point fainting at that point because that's what your strangle arm's supposed to do. Yeah. So if this guy was like legit doing the right thing, there's no faint in the rear naked to, to tighten up a seatbelt grip. You'd be applying the rear naked choke. Yeah. Right? That makes no sense. You don't pass up an opportunity to submit somebody to gain better control. Yeah. It's the other way around. I'm not particularly sure I know what like a... A, a loose, a loose versus like a tighter seatbelt. Like I, I know there's like different positions. Like you can have your hands. Like sometimes you can hide your choking arm in the far armpit, or like we were doing the techniques today. You can bring your control hand over the far I think shoulder. He maybe just means that. Well, let's let's give the person the benefit of the doubt. He probably means that he's just not kind of head trap cinched it right mm. in. He's just kind of just here, right? And maybe that loose, that threatening the rear naked. But by threatening the rear naked, you have to disengage your hands from the seatbelt 
So you're not cinching it up. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't really understand that. Okay, uh, and then he goes on to being like, I think it being a white belt helps because upper, upper belts don't expect some faints. Uh, so, talking, sorry, can we just pause on faints? <laughs> yeah. So, we'd spoken in one of the videos today about um, what's the word? Deception. Deception, right? So, yeah, of course, we can use certain techniques or certain things to deceive our opponent to give us something else that we want more than this, that's more precious than this. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we would attack, as, a, as an idea, we would attack the neck, but know that actually we don't have the angle or the leverage to get the neck, but by doing so, our opponent defends, lifts their arms, gives us inside space, better control. Yeah. I think that's what he might be talking about, but not putting it in a really good way. Yeah. Um, we don't tend to use feints. You don't see people, unless you're on the feet, where you might faint, a takedown level change kind of level yeah, change yeah. You, you don't and that's more wrestling judo we, we don't faint arm bars and faint chokes in mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu like we don't really do that because by the very fact of us doing that means we're creating space and that gives our opponent a transition to get out so we want to maintain a super tight control the whole way through and dominance in the control so fainting is not a great choice of words really yeah so while there is definitely, you know, deception, Sun Tzu, or warfare is based on deception kind of thing. Um, I don't think this person has necessarily really understood what the, the, the meaning of that. No. When I got my seatbelt tightened up where I wanted, bam, grabbed the leg and a bow and arrow. Um, so that's the first technical kind of yeah. misnomer there, right? There's no bow and arrow choke unless you have a hand in the collar fairly deep. Mm -hmm. So he's either got a seatbelt grip or he's got a hand in the collar or he's got a hand in the collar and the other hand on top, which is kind of modified seatbelt grip with a collar grip. Mm -hmm. Because in order to apply the bow and arrow choke, you must have... Hand, and you wouldn't transition by putting his hand under the leg to a bow and arrow position because if you only have the seatbelt, you've then just disentangled your seatbelt. So yeah. you have no control. So it, that makes really no sense. Bam, uh, bam, bam, it makes no sense. And <laughs> uh, now it gets even more nonsensical. Um, but naturally, he wasn't going to give it, give in that easy. I had to let go of the leg two or three times to make my micro adjustments on the seatbelt. Yeah. You can't have a seatbelt on <laughs> the bow and arrow choke. Like it, the two, the seatbelt, your hands are connected, bow and arrow choke, your hands are apart by the very fact that you've gone to the leg. There is a, an, an option in the Baron Archer, which we showed on our video uh, this week, whereby if you've got that collar grip, you could have the file lapel and go to the Baron choke, and therefore you don't go to the leg. But still, that's not a seatbelt. That's like a modified seatbelt with grips. So you, you wouldn't... This is where I was lost, because you, you by letting go of the leg, you're not back on the back. Mm -hmm. You've misaligned to get to that position and create an angle. So there's no micro adjustments there unless the purple belt's head is kind of almost on the mat, like right in your lap, and you're able to let go of the leg, come back to the lapel, you've got your legs crossed, and adjust that way. That maybe is what he did. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, he's getting really roasted on his uh, micro-adjustments kind of thing. Because that's like yeah. a John Danaher type thing, I think it? so, yeah. yeah like, like, there are kind of, you know micro adjustments where you might you know get your hand just like a tiny bit deeper in the collar which seems like a very small kind of movement but might make a big difference in a choke yeah. um but you know there's i don't think there's many micro adjustments that make you 
able to be a you know go from a two strike white belt <laughs> to do a- I think there if let's give this person the benefit of the doubt I think they've got the hand in the collar so when they went to the bow and arrow they didn't have a seatbelt and then they let go of the leg to come back to the lapel and feed that grip deeper that's what I would suggest happened if he, if we believe what this person said and that's his micro adjustment to a deeper grip right because his grip wasn't set properly in the first place because he was a true side white belt <laughs> okay uh, so where are we here let go it's like two three times just a seatbelt uh, okay finally when I grabbed the leg and extended I saw the hand getting ready to tap then relax again I knew I just had to play the patience game at that point and after a few seconds I got there on the most reluctant tap which is all right, you know, you guys, you know, sometimes say to me, you know, don't, you know, you don't put your chokes on 100% straight away, you know, stick them on like 70%, so then you can start building them up. Yeah. And then, you know, because if you don't get that almost like a shock reaction kind of tap, and they kind of try and either, uh, and if it's not on super tight just yet, maybe they can, um, that gradual, like, yeah. I don't know what the feeling that I was just impending doom. impending doom can be can be so there's two things really like one you don't want to snap on a submission 100% straight away because it's dangerous we spoke about this a few times haven't we two you can get a panic tap from your opponent which doesn't actually give you the feedback to whether or not your submission was really technically proficient because you've just and if I grabbed all your arm and just ragged it you're probably going to tap because you're like what's Mike doing he's ragging my arm so we need to apply it to a point where we give ourselves room to know if it was technically proficient because if we start at 70 in the bow and arrow let's say extend our hips extend our hips to 90 and we're hanging on by two fingers on the collar which can sometimes happen right your grip wasn't set properly enough right and we know that then Mm -hmm. so in the future we know to set our grip deeper around the collar right to get a better better leverage on the neck Wow. So that's kind of the little breakdown of that. Yeah, I mean, what's the, the most disappointing thing is that this person felt so overjoyed by the fact they tapped a higher belt that they need to write to BJJ Fanatics about it. Like, what are you in jiu-jitsu for? That would be my question. Like, what, what is it? If this is like such a life-affirming thing that you tapped a two-stripe purple belt that you felt the need to share it with the world... I'm not sure you're in the jiu-jitsu for the right reason. And like, what happens when you get tapped? Because I'd like to see what happens in the next round, like straight after that, when they like fist bumped it again and went after it. Because if I was a two-stripe purple belt and this guy's doing cartwheels around the mat because he's tapped me, <laughs> it's going to be a bad day at the office for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not sure if it, if it you know actually happened or if um, just the way the, the way the person kind of describes it, it just seems so like I think it almost it almost sounds like it's someone that's heard of different things in jiu-jitsu and then have created like a story around it i don't know man i, I think if, if you like i mean what someone who's been training for two months uh, in our academy could conceivably if they came two three times a week could conceivably have two straps in the white belt right mm-hmm. let's take covid out of it so they've just landed in our gb1 program L- let's say let's say they're not even in gracie baja and they're in a, a jiu-jitsu academy which has no curriculum so there's no consistent teaching. It's just random. It's scattergone. Mm-hmm. And they're there for two months. They've got two straps in the white belt. I'm not sure they'd be able to describe a bow and arrow better than that. So I think that's probably genuine in terms of the way someone would describe it. Mm-hmm. They just, 
they misunderstand what a seatbelt grip actually is and where their hands actually were. Because when you when you give them benefit of the doubt and you connect the dots for them, yeah. actually that's conceivable really at that point. The first bit's a bit odd when he takes the back sneaky like. But again, that gives us a glimpse into this person's personality, right? That they are so amazing. They tricked this purple belt um, when we know that's not the case. I think it's becoming a, a little more pre prevalent, this kind of thing. He's, you know, John Donahue posts a lot of the messages he gets onto his story. I know Tom Tom from Indergard always sends me messages about him. <laughs> yeah. There's a goose the other day saying how he, he'd always struggle with chokes he had tiny hands. <laughs> <laughs> and like, maybe it's not the fact that you've got small hands, maybe you've just not been gripping properly for yeah. the last how many years. And you get some, yeah, you see some really strange, strange kind of messages come through there. But yeah, I just wanted to, to talk to you about that really. I thought it was kind of funny and been going through the jiu-jitsu world a little bit so um it's funny i think it's in a, it's it's all it's it's more sad than funny mm. in my opinion um because i think it's sad for that person like i say because they felt they needed to share that with everyone um and maybe they've got a higher sense of their own um importance or maybe their own abilities than they actually have because the fact that they want to shout about this but they can't describe it in a technical way is contradictory right and so i think it's actually quite sad and i think if if whoever did this if it's indeed true their instructors and coaches will be mortified when they <laughs> yeah. find out yeah because it doesn't say a lot about the academy does it and the values of like the humbleness and team you know, if you've got infighting within your team where people are celebrating mini victories, um, that's a pretty pretty negative place to be, right? For sure. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was the reorg stuff, as we mentioned. Yeah. Um, so for people that don't know what reorg is, it's um, a charity founded by uh, was it founded it was founded by Sam wasn't it Sam Sheriff yeah uh, it's a Royal Marine colour sergeant right yeah PTI PTI uh, around kind of helping uh, well at the, at the start it was just kind of just around the Marines right but yeah I think I think I mean I'll have to check with Sam but I, I, it's three it's about three years old now um, and it started um, to help as a, a vehicle really to help support uh, Marines who were coming back from theatre um, perhaps with post-traumatic stress or perhaps with life-changing injuries. Um, Mark Home Rob being the kind of, uh, who another kind of ambassador of Reorgs, who is probably the most famous um, first triple amputee, I think, who's got a great jiu-jitsu, right? And so I think it was born out of Sam's kind of love for jiu-jitsu and wanting to share that with um, fellow Marines and then do something good and positive. But it's grown like into something which probably... I mean, I spoke to Sam last week. He probably wouldn't even have anticipated it getting to this stage. And it's testament to him, really, and um, how he's driven it and uh, connected well with everybody to make it what it is now. It's now a registered charity, of course. Um, yeah, it's definitely growing a lot. I remember when I uh, first saw the Reorg stuff, I was like, I was very like sceptical as to whether or not I could wear that because you know like when you're in training the marines like it's a big taboo to be seen in anything like when you're a recruit to be seen anything like that says commando or anything yeah. like that um and still carrying that over like to outside and civilian life like um i was like well i'm like i don't really want to be kind of seen in it because if then if someone 
it's like, oh, are you in the Marines or anything like that? Then it's has to like, tell the story of like, well, kind of, and then you don't want to be seen as that person that was like, almost like in the, Mar- in the Marines and then yeah. trying to pretend like they were kind of thing. Yeah. But now it's like such a bigger organization, isn't it? It's encompassed so much more. Yeah, I mean, it's got the commando dagger as its main kind of emblem, right? And reorg means kind of re- regrouping, right? Mm-hmm. In military terms, you know, if, it's, if you call a reorg straight after a battle, it's a chance to come together, isn't it? And regroup and reassess and move forward. So it's a great kind of name. And um, and it kind of sums up what I think Sam's vision for reorg was around uh, helping people regroup after trauma and, and finding a better way through and using jiu-jitsu as a vehicle to, to help and assist people. Um, so now it's it's much more broad. So it's the whole of the military, um, and it's also emergency services as well. So um, it's uh, you keep going. I'm just gonna plug this in. Okay, mate. Yeah. So it's it encompasses the whole of the military, veterans, and blue light services. Um, so a lot of the new reorg uh, kit that's out through Tatami Fightwear is um, maybe focused at the police or the fire or at medics, and uh, yeah, it's done really, really well. So the reason we're talking about it is because this week we're announcing our kind of support, formal support for Reorg. Um, Reorg have been, uh, and Sam has been, and Tom Hardy as well, the actor who's one of their main ambassadors, who we know quite well. He, They've been really supportive of the Atlantic Grappler campaign from its very beginning. Obviously, that's my solo row across the Atlantic next year. But we wanted to have a deeper connection with Reorg, with the Academy, and a separate connection. So um, what that looks like for us is that Reorg will be our official charity uh, moving forward. So of course we will support other um, good causes, but behind all of that will always be our connection to Reorg because obviously of my history in the Royal Marines and your history in being in training in the Royal Marines, and everything else. So you'll see us wearing real kit, you know, we'll be promoting their kit um, and encouraging our members to buy it. We're even going to allow, and this was a difficult one for me because of Gritty Baja and stuff, but, you know, I think because it is a charity now, we're even, I'm even comfortable allowing our members to wear maybe real rash guards and shorts. So you could wear a real rash guard underneath your Gritty Baja gi. Um, I still want everyone to wear Gritty Baja gis because I think that's important. The rash guards, I'm happy to, if you want to wear a real rash guard. And there's loads of amazing designs by great artists out there. You could also wear the real shorts if you come to Nogi or Baja Fit as well. So that's pretty cool. And we'll always do some stuff in the year to try and raise some money for the charity. So yeah, super positive, super pumped about it. And I think at some point in the Academy, we will have Mural Minded back, the guy, the very talented guy who did our uh, graffiti um murals in here to, to come back and do a real piece yeah I think that'd be really cool yeah it's definitely a cool partnership obviously um, I've been following Reorg for for a while now and they've always been doing some good stuff and it just means, seems to make so much sense between like your background and obviously doing jiu-jitsu so mm. I mean I was keen to get involved like years and years ago but it never kind of came off I don't know why um, I obviously didn't own a school at that point. Um, Sam was quite busy kind of building it. And I think maybe was a bit careful about who he had involved. And obviously my previous work as well, I wasn't able to kind of be out there with what I was doing and stuff. So now there's a real chance to kind of put our flag in, our reorg flag in the GBRL sand as it were. And 
make sure that we're always supporting those guys. And I'm sure at some point, you know, Sam will, you know, be keen to come up and come train with everyone and maybe do a seminar for us as a black belt in his own right now. So it's exciting. Excellent. So let's get to some of these things. Now, what I was going to talk to you today about was uh, myth. <laughs> BJJ myths. Oh, BJJ myths. Good. Yeah. Not you just, just finished Harry Potter. So not I just thought... myth and legend. Right, good. Not just me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll just go in. So, we've got a few minutes, 10, 15 minutes to cover. All right. So, uh, oh, well, this is actually a perfect one for this one, actually. Um, myth one. Yeah. Upper belts don't get tapped out by lower belts. Myth. Myth. Um, do, you want, do you want a myth or legend? You can, be like a, you can do a myth buster kind of thing if you want. Yeah, of course, like it happens. Um, I think it happens, you know, rarely if, if that... It, it depends the disparity of kind of experience, right? So a black belt versus a, a brand new uh, person to the academy. You know, if we were training... And, every, and everyone was going at the same intensity level, of course. The new person wouldn't have much of a chance. But I think it depends on intensity. So, you, you know, the great thing about jiu-jitsu is you can handicap yourself by either putting less effort in, strength, power, energy, to equalize that kind of disparity in experience. Or you could put yourself in bad positions to start with which gives the other person a better chance of finishing. So there's there's lots of things you can do and should be doing to equalise the match. What I would say is if the intensity level is not somewhere close, it's not a realistic grappling match. So I've, you know, rolled with people before, maybe bigger than me, but less experience and started off at 10%, 20% of energy and they've gone at 120%. Like, I have to raise that, otherwise I may as well just be a grappling dummy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, if there's a big strength or weight disparity, you have to bring it somewhere and find that happy medium. And I think if you're experienced in jiu-jitsu, you're able to do that. I can't remember who, who was saying it, but um, they're saying when, when two people meet, meet for the first time and just say it's in the academy, and the, let's say they're nogis, they don't know, let's say, what belt each other are, Usually, like the the lower belt will do a, sometimes a little bit better than what they usually would do, yeah. Because they they don't have the pre preset in the head that oh this person's supposed to kind of beat me, right? Yeah, yeah. I think look, it does it matter if people tap? Like I just don't think it does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you shouldn't be giving taps away because that doesn't really help your partner, you know. So unless it's a legitimate submission, you shouldn't be kind of like just. There's an arm, mate, take it. You know, like, I think if you're rolling with someone and the experience disparity is so large, there's a place for that even, of like almost falling into positions and see mm-hmm. if they notice mm-hmm. opportunities. But but then maybe you might escape. Maybe you will tap because, you know, that's a strong message to that person that, you know, I, as an example, maybe I put my arm out, a brand new white belt grabs the arm. Maybe they do a really good job of controlling the wrist. It's in the right position. Maybe they're squeezing their legs. Maybe they're drawing the heels together. Actually, that's a really good position. I will tap because they've done everything right. Mm-hmm. If they leave a big gaping hole in that technique, I might escape to show them the reason I escaped was because of that hole, right? Mm-hmm. So they remember. So we should be trying to help each other, man. No matter what belt you are. Yeah, and I see you doing that even with like a Gabe and stuff when you when you do a roll with him. You know, you'll 
you'll uh, present him with a kind of submission, see if he spots it and takes it. Yeah. And then if he does it correctly, you'll give him the tap, you know? For sure. Uh, next one is, uh, you can earn your belt in a certain amount of time. Um, yeah, I think you can. I think I think there's nothing wrong with setting goals that you'd like to be a certain belt in a certain amount of time. And if you, I mean, you don't control when you get your belt. That's the one thing that's out of your control. But you can control the effort and energy and dedication you put in to achieving it, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't get to have, certainly in this account, you don't get to have a conversation with a professor and say, Mate, I'm, I'd like to set a goal for myself in two years. Now, I want you to agree to it. If I come three times a week, will you get, that's not going to happen. But I think in your own mind, you should have those kind of goals. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with putting a time frame on it. In fact, a good goal should have a time on it. Okay, so we'll go partially busted on that one. Um, no, I think it's legit. Like... You can achieve a goal in a certain... You can achieve a belt in a certain amount of time. Okay, so fully busted. That's not a myth. It's not a myth. Yeah. Michael Musumeshi went from blue belt to black belt in two years. That shows you what's possible. Mm. He's a he's a very different fish, but shows you what's possible, man. Uh, si uh, myth three. Size and strength are not very important. No, that's a myth. They're very important in the combative scenario, right? Where we're going um, at near maximum intensity, of course, strength, power, weight will always um, help. Um, there was a kind of a bit of a myth thing going around um, in Jiu-Jitsu that you could kind of even out the belt disparity again by weight in terms of like 10 kilo increments. It's like a stone and a half. Um so, yeah, if you had a, a blue belt and a purple belt, if the blue belt was 10 and a half kilos heavier than the purple belt, it kind of evened itself out a little bit because that is a much harder match. Like, you know, even if I roll with someone who's a white belt and they're 140 kilos, that's 140 kilos to move around. That's tough, you know? Yeah. And you can have, we talked about it before, you can have the most beautiful technique. It's going to help to a degree, but if that person just lays on top of you and grabs hold of you and they're Eddie Hall... It's gonna be hard to get them off. So like that, that's uh, that's like you being like a coral belt to me then. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a video actually with Thor. You know, Heather uh, Bjornsson. I thought, yeah, yeah, rolling uh, in Eastern Europe somewhere with a black belt. I can't remember. It's a famous black belt as well. I can't mm. remember his name. Um, English guy, and uh, yeah, the black belt can do anything with him. I think that's how was it. Uh, Kavanaugh. Um, McGregor's jiu-jitsu coach. Right. Roll with, it might have been Thor, but it was another big bodybuilder, like a big name bodybuilder. It, it, I think it was Thor, maybe. And, uh, got, I think he got a guillotine on him. <laughs> you kind of just like, Thor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's doable, like. Yeah. But I think it's tough. Yeah. Uh, I think what you need to do is fight, uh, fight smart. So you need to be able to put that person on the back as soon as you can. Mm. Because we know then that you know, if that person doesn't know jiu-jitsu when they're on the back, much, le much less effective. <laughs> Myth four, uh, black belts know all the answers. Well, you never stop learning. That's a cliche in itself, but it's true. I, I, I think we spoke about this again recently. You know, I, I feel like the black belt journey is almost like 
it's funny because when you start jiu-jitsu, I do think that you should have a goal of becoming a black belt. I don't think your goal should be, I want a blue belt in two years. I think that's a micro goal. The goal should be, I would like to get a black belt because, you know, when we say this to all our members, if you come down here on day one as a founder member, you all could be black belts if you keep training, right? Everyone has the ability to be a black belt, no matter what, as long as you keep coming. You're going to get it quicker than others. Who cares? It's your journey. You can get a black belt. But when you get that black belt, very much similar to getting a green beret, the door, it's like a door opens to a new world. It's like you've gone on to a new level. It's like almost like you start again. And it feels like you feel uncomfortable wearing a black belt for a while. Just like when you go to a unit in the Marines and I put my green beret on for the first time, you feel a little bit of a fraud, like do am I a Marine yet? Mm. And you grow into it and you become more confident in it, but you never stop learning. The key difference really is and this was something that I was told um, when I was in the Marines was, if you thought getting a Green Beret was hard, at least you had the Green Beret to aim for. Now you're just a Marine and that's just your job. <laughs> You've got to be a Marine, as fit as a Marine, as, as, as professional as a Marine every day. And no one's giving you anything for it. Yeah. And it's a black belt's the same, right? Like you've got, a, you've got a responsibility to keep your skills and knowledge to a, a black belt plus level with no reward, with a stripe every three years. Is that, but do you need motivation? Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do, should you, at that level? Would, uh, again, just play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. Um, would you maybe consider that if you go in with the sole um, objection of like, when you start, I want to get a black belt, is that maybe a shallow kind of um, goal? Should you, should you not go in with a a mind of like, my goal is to, you know, get better every day kind of thing, um, work on myself, get the things that are out of jiu-jitsu that I want to get out of jiu-jitsu, rather than focus on like a symbolic kind of victory? Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I, I, you know, it comes back to kind of goal setting. Like, you know, people have heard a smart goal setting. It's got to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and timely. Like that's what a goal needs to have. So it's got to be specific. So what is your specific goal? I want to be good at jujitsu. How do you measure what good is? Is it realistic? Yeah. You come training, yeah. Is it achievable? Yeah. Is it timely? Like when by? So you, unless you have those in a goal, the goal's hard to to ensure that you've made it, right? And you don't know if you've made it. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to be a black belt in jujitsu. Specific, yes. Measurable, yes. You get a black belt. Attainable, yeah, just keep coming. Realistic, yeah, yeah, as long as you keep coming. Timely. So what's the time? You're missing something in your goal there. So I would say, I know what you're saying, but I would say everyone should be saying to themselves, I'd like to be a black belt within 10 years. And I'd also like to be just, just love the journey on the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got, you've got a specific goal that you can measure it's achievable, realistic, you place a time limit on it, which pushes you to come to training often. But underneath that, you're saying, but actually the most important thing to me is that I just enjoy the journey and I'm as good as I can be as a person. That way you're kind of ensuring that you've got a kind of measuring stick on yourself. Because what I feel with people is, you know, we've all, well, not all of us set goals. I'm a very big goal setter, as you know got a big goal coming up next year right always done big bigger things than i think i'm capable of that's how i push myself but i make sure that i hit all those boxes 
because otherwise you struggle to get yourself out of bed in the morning and you need to do that and you struggle you'll struggle to come to the academy if you don't set yourself specific measurable achievable realistic and timely targets yeah i, I agree and i think you know having those like faraway goals and then the micro steps in the middle just to like just for your daily like what you need to do to eventually hit that longer term goal whatever it is for you I think it just becomes a bit more difficult when your goal is maybe not so measurable so let's say it was something like I want to be a good martial artist and and what what does that mean for me it means I live in a spirit of martial arts disciplined kind of um, trying to be the best kind of person I can be best to my friends and my family um, being able to express myself through uh, combat kind of thing like that it's kind of hard to put a when I, it's kind of hard to say when I've achieved that goal. I think the only time you would be would be like post-death, you know? Yeah. Like, did I live a life that I wanted to lead, you know? Um, I'm not, I'm a, I don't know, I challenge you on that. Like, you know, so you've mentioned a few things there. So you'd like to be maybe, as part of being a good martial artist, maybe you'll be a committed father and husband one day to somebody and impart those wisdoms and those... Um, things you've learned to your children, that's measurable because you can see your children grow up in your own vision and having good discipline and good manners and things like that. That's what I do with my kids. You might pride yourself on being an exceptional coach, which I know you do, which means that you can see those values in your own students. So I think you can measure those things. I think you've just got to look quite deep. Mm. The point you made about having a longer term goal, I think that's really important. And I would challenge everyone to set the longest, biggest furthest goal you can first and achieve other things on the way because what I see people do is they set themselves an example would be I want to do a couch to 5k okay what are you going to do when you've done 5k oh I'll do a 10k right why don't you just say I'm going to do the London Marathon next year you're going to do a 5k on the way in training right but the goal is so big and so lucrative in terms of what it gives you in terms of how it makes you feel and everything else, you'll tick a lot of things off on the way. So by setting yourself the black belt target, you will be a blue belt, you will be a purple belt, you'll be a brown belt. Do you think that's why maybe uh, a lot of blue belts end up quitting or is that yeah. that's the kind of the stereotype? Um, you know, because all the white belts, they don't want to, you know, anyone just walks into the door they're free and does their first class, they get their white belt, right? Yeah. So you want to get out of that pool as quick as you can, really. Yeah, yeah. So your goal inevitably becomes get a coloured belt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to not be a white belt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you want to be a blue belt. Well, that's fine, right? But you should want to be a black belt too because otherwise you're placing the, the measurable and achieve, the measurable bit of that goal at blue. Mm. So where, 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 what's after that? Now I want to be a purple belt. Well, the, 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 the bridges between the, your goal setting and achieving the goals are so small that there's nothing to kind of really push you forward. You've got to set yourself a goal. I said to the people who were at our, the members who were at our um, Q&A the other day, like, honestly, and this is hard for people to get their head around, if you're starting jiu-jitsu today, you could be running your own jiu-jitsu academy in 10 years' time. Easy. Anyone can do that, provided you come to training, you commit yourself. Yeah, you're going to have to try and figure out things financially, but that's part of the process. But if that's what you want to do, you could be a coach working with us on the mat within a year. That's a blue belt. No problem. If you've got the right attitude and you commit to jiu-jitsu. So, you know, set big goals, set massive goals. 
Don't sell yourself short. Um, one thing I liked, uh, have you read Dave Goggins' book? Nope. So he's got a section on there about accountability and he yeah. talks about um, his accountability mirror where he's got like post-it notes on his mirror. So every every morning when he's like brushing his teeth in front of the mirror and stuff, he can see like the things that you like holding himself accountable for. And something I do and you helped me out with recently by doing some printing for me yep. is I have like five things <clears throat> per, you know, per day uh, for, eight, for every week I want to accomplish. And those things kind of change you know, week to week, month to month, based on what I want to focus on. So, for instance, this week, get up at 5.55, go for my walk, uh, 10 minutes of stretching, 40 curls, you know, for the curls. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a very important goal. That's a, that, you know, big buyers is always a goal. Yeah, man. That's not a long-term goal either, you know, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 20 minutes of um, studying. And I set those goals, like, really low, because I always want to try and like a seat exceed them and then yeah. you know if I end up doing them you know a few weeks in a row and I don't end up changing it I always like add a bit more to it but that's like how I kind of hold myself accountable like I always have like this tick off sheet mm. and then if I get an X in a week I miss one I'm like, oh, man, that's like that's a heart wrenching kind of yeah. feel could I have to see that whole th- the X for the rest of that week you know that's the downside of setting a big goal I suppose is that in terms of holding yourself to account you could if you're not very self-motivated, and I'm not saying you're not self-motivated, but if you're not um, consistently, then you could find excuses in there to say, well, it's all right, I've got 10 years, blah, blah, blah. I won't go training tonight. Mm. In the grand scheme of things, actually, it's not a problem. I think, but that teaches you, you need to develop that. That is, should be part of the conversation with yourself. So that even though this is, like I said to Paul, my performance coach for the row, when he set my program and he, and he said to me, Mike, you need to take your foot off the gas. Stop beating yourself all the time. And I said, look, whatever you set me, I will do. I said this to Tom when I went to Indigard. Like, if you tell me to do a certain amount of exercises every day, I will do them every single day because I can't have that in my mind that I missed a day when I'm out on the ocean, right? And I would just encourage everyone to do that. Like, just hold yourself accountable to every decision you make. And just be honest with yourself. Are you not going to training because actually you've got a bit of a knee niggle and actually that's a bit serious? Or are you not going because you've just had your tea and you're telling yourself you've got an injury when you haven't? Be honest mm. with yourself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think we maybe should maybe just end it there, Mike. I think. Well, we should come back to that. We should yeah. talk about that. We could, we're going to talk about the Atlantic Rapper at some point, right? Mm. And we could talk about goal setting and, and maybe... Um, offer some ideas to members on how they set their own goals in jiu-jitsu yeah that'd be good and um how we're going to hold them accountable how they're going to hold them well one thing I, one thing i am going to offer all our members is that if you are serious about committing to jiu-jitsu as something that's going to um, improve your life in whatever form that is and you have a specific goal share it with us because we will hold you accountable Uh, And we will help you and support you to get where you want to be. So going back to my point before, real quick to finish, like if you want to be a black belt and you've always dreamt about it, come and talk to us. We will help you do that. And maybe we'll we'll give you different opportunities. All right. Everyone's going to be treated equal, but maybe we need to push you a little bit further. You know, if you want to be a world champion, we're definitely going to push you further. Okay. We're going to help you do that. Right. So, like, come and tell us. And if you just want to meet new friends and hang out, no problem. We'll talk to you more on the WhatsApp group and get you involved in more things. So 
you know, if you want to be held accountable and supported in your goals, we should be the people to talk to. Excellent. Cheers, mate. Pleasure. Good to see you, man.